1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, hello, it's Sunday morning. I'm not saying there's too much price of football in my life, but I opened the door on my advent calendar this morning, and there's a picture of you. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're probably what I should expect from a, a Moscow nightclub advent calendar it took a lot of <laughs> That's
0: true. took a lot of finding
1: <laughs> some, I've, only, I've only managed to find three doors so far as well. It's, some of those doors are very difficult um, it's questions day Kieran and we've got some good questions and some lengthy questions so I think we should probably uh, uh, eschew the usual uh, banter at the start <laughs> and get straight into it and then you never know BAFTA might still be listening right at the end when we're still being clever and grown up but Um, Our first question, Kira, comes from Craig Hall. And I'm getting slightly worried that Blackburn Rovers, you know, you just get an instinct, a little feel that things start to build up and you suddenly get more questions and news stories about a club. And at the moment, it's it's Blackburn Rovers. We're getting a lot of questions about Blackburn. Uh, And this one from Craig Hall is around the financing of EFL Championship clubs, specifically mine, says Craig, Blackburn Rovers. Our current debt to our owners, the Venkis, I believe stands at around £180 million, and we are currently under threat of embargo following the last financial period. My question is, in the EFL, can an owner underwrite the club's debts and effectively bankroll the club with no effect on financial fair play? So how does the finance situation work broadly within with FFP, within the EFL? And it, again, it's another question that indicates, Kieran, that none of us... And I'm happy to admit that includes me, fully understand how FFP works within the different leagues and, and what, what the rules are. It's, it's, it strikes me that something does need to be streamlined or simplified or we need to be some kind of basic crib sheet needs to
0: be sent to every football fan. Yeah, if only we had a coordinated <laughs> football body, which had universal rules. Speaking of which,
1: we will be talking to somebody who's come up with that idea um, this week. Tracy Crouch will be on the on the pod this week, so if you have any questions for Tracy about the fan led football football report, then um, please let us know. But I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm very much looking forward to to hearing her reaction to some of the criticism it's been
0: getting. Yes, yes, Com- Comrade Tracy, as she'll be known. <laughs> It's how
1: how bizarre. I wonder what the other Tory MPs think when Comrade Tracy walks into the the Tory MP bar and and does whatever Tory MP. God forbid. I don't even want to know what they do in there. But it must it must be very strange for a Tory MP to be compared to Chairman Mao. But anyway,
0: the Craig Hall's question and the Venki's gear. right. Um, an owner can put as much money into a football club as they wish. Um, and we've seen uh, Roman Abramovich put in around about I think it's about, one, about 1. 1.4 million, 1.4 billion into Literally. Chelsea. Yeah. Um, at Brighton, we've got Tony Bloom, who's put in 400 million. Uh, clearly, we've got Sheikh Mansour, who's put huge amounts into Manchester City. Uh, Stoke City's owners have put. So the actual physical cash that can be put into a club is limitless, as is the case for any business. If, if you've got a, a business investor, um, they, they can generate as much money from either individuals or institutions as, as they wish. But in terms of FFP, the way that it works in the EFL championship is that over a rolling three-year period, the first £90 million – from the owners is counted towards FFP. Um, so if you put in 90 million, all of it counts. If you put in 200 million, only the first 90 million count counts. If you put in 20 million, it's that 20 million counts. So that's, that's the way that it works. Um, and, and on top of that, the clubs are allowed to lose uh, a further 15 million themselves under the, the FFP rules. So it's 15 million from your day-to-day, um, but you can top that up by a further 90 million for FFP purposes, and then you can top that up as much as you so desire. Um, from from a perspective of of the sustainability, allowing the club to continue. So, in in the case of Blackburn, I mean Blackburn have lost one hundred and ninety six million pounds in in the last decade, and, and sort of contextualise that. That works out as around about, I think, it's about three hundred and seventy grand a week. Um, and, and this is this wow. is the venkies who who rarely turn up. Yeah, they they, they don't they don't. Come to watch the football. They 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 might watch it on 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 iFollow. Um, I I know some people that have been senior at Blackburn, um, and they say we we don't know why they do it, but we love the fact that they do. So you know, quite often there'll be a, a monthly meeting taking place or on Zoom or its equivalent, and they say, well, we need so much money to to allow us to play the wages and the other costs of Blackburn Rovers this month, and and somebody at the other end of the. Uh, the call uh, you know, at, at the Venki's end in India will say, oh, "Okay, right, we'll we'll wire across a check immediately," and and that's great, provided they keep do- doing it. And yeah. uh, the, the concerns are, and there's no evidence that this will be the case. You know, what happens if the owner turns out to be um, you know, another Tony G? Uh, as we saw with Aston Villa, uh, who who ran out of money for for reasons we're not quite sure, we had Stuart Day at Berry, which led to Steve Dale coming in, and then the, the destruction of Berry. And and then we've got Mel Morris at, uh, at Derby County, who who you know he, he was he was very generous for a while. Then he started, decided he was going to run the club uh, effectively using the uh, the taxpayers' money. Um, and then yeah, the club went into administration, and, he, and he's walked off into the sunset, owning the ground. And, and uh, you know, reading some of the reports about Derby, yeah, you know, you know, we don't want to raise Derby unless we have to, but mm. uh, you know, th- th- things are getting more twitchy there because there, there yeah. are now talks about the club going out of business, which, yeah. you know, yeah. which you hope isn't going to be the case. Um, but yeah, that, those those are the actual rules themselves.
1: <clears throat> this is a phrase I know some Blackburn fans won't like me saying, but to be fair to the Venkis, it's been quite some time now that they've been in charge of the club. And and when you consider that they could quite easily have walked away at the start, I I was there for one of the demonstrations against the Venki takeovers. And it was, it it was angry. It was probably angry. I mean, it was, it was quite funny because they were releasing chickens on the pitch, left, right and center, but they, they do, they, they stick, they've stopped giving the impression quite some time ago to me that they're in it for the short haul. As you say, they, they, they don't, they don't look like owners that are suddenly going to pull the plug, but there again, Mel Morris didn't until two weeks before, and there again, other clubs could say the same thing, I, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think in the the Venkies the didn't do their homework. They didn't realise that there was relegation. They thought it was similar to yeah. the MLS or yeah. the IPL. Um, so when they bought into to Blackburn, they they thought that they were guaranteed revenues going forwards um and and certainly, my understanding from from you know if you if you listen to blackburn podcasts or if you go on to their their, their forums is that there's now a sort of a uh, more of a grudging respect for what the venkies have done because the alternative would would be that the club would be genuinely struggling. Um, and al- although uh, I-, I think the anger of the fans towards the Benkies is, is directed towards the-, the lack of on-field success yeah. that they've had, um, there's also an acknowledgement from the fan base that without them, the, the club would be in a genuinely precarious position because uh you know it, it's a working class area it's blackburn as a as a town is is not is you know is reasonable size but it's not huge um so therefore it's got a sort of an automatic cap in in terms of the expectation of, of attendances as a, as a league uh, as, as an efl club in the championship or league one or whatever it's going to be um and and, and Without the Venki's help, they they wouldn't be in the position they're and, and they're in a you know a, a pretty good season uh, this one, you know, yeah, the present great. season, um, and fair chance of getting into the playoffs, which which could transform the finances again.
1: Yeah, great result yesterday. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Plus they've got um the splendid AJ on Strictly Come Dancing, who could well be in next week's final. She's she's brilliant. She represents Blackburn very well. I don't know what the financial fair play rules are on Strictly Come Dancing. That's for another pod. Um now occasionally, Kieran, I will get criticized, uh, because I'll I will segue from one story into another, say a story about Newcastle and a story about Manchester by saying still, you know, in that in that part of the world. And people from both Newcastle and Manchester will go, We bloody southerners were totally different. Yeah, so, But I think, I, think, um, I think this next one, Kieran, I think I'm obliged to say, Still in the same neck of the woods, because it's a question yes, about yes, Preston. Yes, yeah. and I don't and I, and I think even Preston and Blackburn could deny that they are quite close to each other. And the fact, even if they're annoyed that a cockney has noticed that fact, um, uh, it comes from Jamie Wormsley. And Jamie says that his club, Preston, have long been criticised by fans for not having a proper youth set up. But with clubs being able to pick off talent for next to nothing, who can blame them? Two youth team scholars, both aged 16, recently signed, or rather, as the club described it, committed to signing professional deals when they turned 17. How does this work? And is there a financial reason for putting this off until they turn seventeen? And will the contract be similar to a scholarship, but with greater protection for the club financially?
0: Right. Are, are you technically a Cockney?
1: No, I'm not. Well, don't really don't. No, I'm a South Londoner, but don't because nobody thinks they're a Cockney is technically a Cockney because they're talking about the wrong church. <laughs> right. it's, it's 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 the Bow Bells Church, which is near Covent Garden, not not the church in Bow in the East End. And also, as a mate of mine, like, loves winding up cocktails with a certain age, saying, Well, if you were born during the war, the, no bells were ringing. So you weren't born within the sound of bow bells anyway.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: No, oh, it's technically a Cockney, and also let's. While well, we're on the subject, Cockney rhyming slang's nonsense. It's is totally. It's, it's the most easily seethroughable slang. You can...
0: Yes, it is.
1: <laughs> one criminal in Cockneyland ever used ever use rhyming slang? Imagine being being in a pub, thinking, right, we better not say stairs in case that bloke's undercover copper. Let's say apples and pears, because the <laughs> undercover copper is from the same part of the world. We'll never see through that. Most, if criminals did use slang in they would have used Polari, which is the half-Romany, half-gay slang that most people in London use. But uh, no, I'm not a proper copy, Kieran. I'm a South Londoner. And, uh, so, so, so am I. I I'm, I'm proud of it, uh, just are, as you are. Uh, so. uh, of course, yes. Well, see, you're a South East Londoner, Kieran. I'm a South... Right, oh, right, oh, right. Yeah, see, that's where it gets. See, sometimes people outside London don't realise we have the same cribbles that people, <laughs> that people in Manchester and Liverpool do. So, uh, it... It really bothers a mate in mind when Palace talk about their South London heritage, when they mention South East London, we go, we're a South London club, not a South East London club. (laughs) Um, As you'll find out when we play Millwall, who are a South East London club in the FA Cup. Um, We've both (coughs) been invited to that, by the way, by Millwall. Yeah, Kieran, I, I, I've been supporting Palace for many, many years. One of the lessons I've learned is never is not not to accept an invite to a Millwall game from Millwall. <laughs> just come down here, mate. It'd be all right. I oh, know our shortcuts. Fine, just down this alleyway with no lampposts. Okay? <laughs> anyway, enough for the uh, enough for the East Enders. Danny Dyer, small talk. Uh, Jamie's Jamie's question. I, I, I'm interested in the answer to this question, Kieran. I have thought rather than. Uh, a financial reason for not signing professional deals until they turn
0: 17 that's more of a league regulation reason isn't it? it it is you're not allowed to sign your first professional contract until you reach the age of 17 um and therefore you you will be on a on a scholar's deal um the, the, the scholar's deal is 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 an apprenticeship um yeah it's a bit like being an apprentice yeah you know, electrician or or bricky or something like that so it, it's not it's not they don't tend to be particularly well paid um although uh, some of the uh, some of the wealthier clubs do look after their scholars incredibly well um so the, the the rationale behind this from preston's perspective in committing to a to a pre-professional contract agreement is that it it gives the club protection if if these two lads are as good as they feel that they are um Preston's concern would be that as a 16-year-old scholar, they could be poached under the uh, EPPP scheme, the elite player protection scheme, which is is all geared towards um, good news for the Premier League because it allows them to poach players. And the the club that had uh, developed the player, um, would get a maximum of £40,000 for each year that that young player had been at their, yeah. at their development club. Um, so by having a pre-agreement, so, which effectively commits the player and the club to sign the contract on, on the 17th birthday, it means that uh, you know as soon as he turns 17, if he, if he does get poached by another club, that you can then start to demand more money so, so that gives the that gives the, the the club a bit of protection, also from the the players' point of view. You know, most uh, most scholar contracts they're only on about four to seven grand a year. You know, we, we're talking yeah, yeah, uh, relative peanuts. Um, it, at least he he knows that come the age of seventeen, he's going to be earning a you know a a, a youth you know a, a young person's salary, um, which which gives them a bit of uh, you know. Commitment going forward, so so that that's the reason why you, you can't physically sign a contract yeah. at the age of sixteen. At the age of seventeen, you can only sign a three year contract, uh, and at the age of eighteen, you can then sign a five year contract. Um, so you know it, again, there's there's protection there for the players because what you don't want to do is the player reaches the age of seventeen, it's still still yeah a still an adolescent, yes. Um, and if yes. the club comes to them and he's a you know, really fantastic player. Um, gets them to sign a six- or seven-year deal on relative peanuts, then then the player's being exploited. So this actually yeah. provides a, a degree of protection for the player.
1: And also, I hate uh, to be the cynical one in the relationship, Kieran, but if a if the parents of a player know that the, the, their son is committed to signing a professional deal at the age of 17, it might stop them being so easily distracted by another club who, as we know, aren't above... Offering inducements to parents uh, to lure as you say adolescents and children away There's there's something wrong about the system somewhere uh, uh, well, the,
0: the, the system's absolutely awful um, yeah. and EPPP was introduced uh, very much as a uh, when when the premier League went to the clubs in the EFL and said that we <laughs> will give you a guaranteed percentage. Of the TV monies going forwards, um, forevermore in effect. Uh, But you've got to sign up to EPPP at the same Mm -hmm. time. It was very much strong arm tactics, and um, clubs in the EFL didn't really have much of a a choice. So, yeah, yeah, it's again perhaps this is perhaps you know somebody who who can see a broader uh, a broader analysis of the the way that football operates could uh, could address this.
1: Yeah, that, quite right. And also, I mean, we we say adolescent, but essentially, we mean children. They're big children, yeah. essentially, and they're big children that have been excited for most of their their life about the idea of becoming a professional footballer, who may have not concentrated on education and other issues as much as they should. And it's just, yes, you're right. We'll talk. We'll we'll, we'll put that on the list for Tracy. Yeah, uh, Mike Clare. Mike Clare says, until Kieran recently mentioned parachute payments for clubs relegated to League One, it wasn't something I knew existed. How much are the parachute payments for this – and is it over multiple seasons similar to the
0: League Parachute Payments? No, no, it, it's it's just for one season. So clubs uh, relegated from the Championship to League One and clubs relegated from League One to League Two, they get respectively 11% and 12% of what's referred to as the basic award, which is the the flat fee that the EFL distributes to its members. Um, on an annual basis, and unlike the Premier League, the, the EFL, and I think this is this is something which which is to be applauded. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you finish first or twenty fourth; you get the effectively, the, broadly, the same amount of money. You'll get you mm. get a little bit more if, if you've appeared on telly on, on more occasions, but it's it's not geared to if you finish sixteenth, you get more money than eighteenth, and so on. Um, so, as far as the basic award is concerned in the Championship. Um that's around about two and a half million pounds. So eleven percent of that is uh what, two hundred and seventy-five grand. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so so you don't it's not it's not a lot of money in League One, um and similarly it's not a lot of money in League Two, and uh, but it, it just makes a slight difference to allow those clubs who have who have got players on longer term contracts just to give them a you know slightly more of a cushion uh and if you get uh, if if you, if you get relegated from league 2 to the national league you get 2 years worth of parachutes from the EFL the first of which is 100% of your basic award and the second year it is 50% mm. Uh, You can't
1: always hear me nodding, Kieran, but I hoped you heard the way I nodded (laughs) a cent when you said 11% of whatever it was was 275, and I I joined in as though, of course, I knew what that figure was. (laughs) Why why were you even checking it? Um, (laughs) Well, I don't know, and this is quite embarrassing because I think we've had a question from this person before, and I think he told me how you pronounce his name, but it was a while ago. It's um, Stephen uh, Clue. C-L-E-U-G-H. It could be some kind of cluff. Let's go for Stephen Clue so he can do his own joke about me not having a surname, how to pronounce his surname. But (laughs) this is a question I really like, and I'm really looking forward to your answer to this. Stephen's question is simply, would it be more cost-effective to reduce the FA, EFL, EPL to one body and save on the total administrative costs in these trying times, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to see it happen. I'd like to see the meeting where that was put to these people, that they're going to make them one one body. But an interesting question, then.
0: Yes. Uh, remember, the, um, the the Premier League is a, is a breakaway organisation in, in yes. exactly oh, the course. same yes, way yes, that, yes, that yes. Super League is. Um, right. And you know, the, the people who are in favour of Super League said, yeah, look at the Premier League as an example of what can be done. Um at present, the the three organisations have a combined wage bill of uh, just over £90 million pounds a year, which is, you know, that's, that's the wage bill for a you know, bottom six or bottom three or four perhaps uh, Premier League club. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it is a significant amount of money. Uh, it has to be said that the vast majority of, of the that, that those wages are coming from the Football Association itself. The Football Association has over 1,200 employees um, oh, that, which, which may may surprise people. That, well, that's interesting, Kieran.
1: Because uh, instinctively, you'd, you'd, you'd assume you, the EPL would be the one with the huge wages.
0: But that's oh, okay, yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, the, the 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 football association is responsible for grassroots football across the whole of the country. Yeah. So yeah, yeah therefore, yeah. it employs coaches, it employs advisors, yeah, it, it has inspectors, um, and it's it. Uh, it it will also go in and check some of the uh, some of the the, the the mechanics of both the clubs at the EFL and mm. the Premier League, um, which which is which is right and proper to do. So, um, when the Premier League was set up, uh, it was it, it, it was because the what was then the Football League. It was quite fuddy duddy is is perhaps the most appropriate phrase yeah. to use. It was yeah. sort of very much old school, very much uh uh, yeah, the suits and the, the the procedures of the meetings were very long-winded, and people were arguing about the the, the tiniest of things. Um, so the Premier League was a more nimble organisation when it was set up, um, and it, and its focus is purely on the the marketing of its product, which which it does extremely well. Um, so would it save a bit of money if, uh, if if they were combined? It might save some of the wage bill. But ultimately you've got to look at the money that these three organizations generate, and it could be that the Premier League, because its focus is, is it is very much a commercial organization its ability to be able to go out and negotiate contracts and broadcasting deals with commercial partners is is better than that of the Football Association itself because its its focus is is much broader it's much more social in nature. Um, and, you know, ultimately, who, who do we want in charge of English football? Because some some of the people in charge of the FA, they, they've not covered themselves in glory in, in recent years. Mm. Um, you know, so, yes, you could save some money, but it could also mean that the, the additional... Money which is generated by the the bodies would actually be lower as well. So so it's it's an interesting one. I'm I'm not sure it would be necessarily that cost effective. Yes, there'll be some duplication. Um, yes, there is a case for saying that a single body in in charge of English football. Can knock heads together in, in a way that's not happening at present. You know, the, the EFL and the Premier League are still at loggerheads mm. uh, with regards to uh, a distribution model. So, um, yeah, you know, one party who can just dictate terms uh, would, would perhaps have some benefits.
1: I like your description of the um, Football League not being very nimble. This so is when. When we were growing up, Kieran, when we first started watching football, the Football League was pretty much running to the same rules as it had done since it started in 1888. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you, you had these – every time you – or the, the, the rare occasions, as we say, because every time implies it was quite often – yeah, you'd see there'd always be a, a fug of cigar smoke or pipe smoke, and even you know they used to give a magazine away. Remember in in programmes, every now and again you'd get the football league magazine. Yeah, and there was always be a picture of some executive with a pipe, and of course in those days, and a lot of younger people listening to this will be surprised to hear that if you finished bottom of the of the what, what is now League Two. You weren't relegated anywhere. You, you applied for re-election back to the league, and nineteen times out of twenty, you were re-elected by some arcane procedure. And then, if you weren't, they would then decide whether it's the, a northern team or a southern team that took that took your place. It's very that was a very strange shenanigan. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's certainly, it was an old boys network. Absolutely, yes. Um, and if we if we still had a single organisation, I, I think English football. Would be in a far worse position because remember the, the, the historic view taken by the football authorities that was that showing football matches live on TV uh, was a bad thing because uh, yes. it would it would take view, viewers, it would take people away from attending the matches. Yeah. Um, when, when we know that the opposite, if the football is good, it actually yeah. acts as a beacon. Uh, if you've got a good product, market it live. Well, it was actually an embargo
1: when match of the day first started up, up until the late no it happened to the mid 80s basically they weren't allowed to announce which games were going to be yep. on so yep. in case it stopped people going to the actual games
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Our next question comes from Stuart Hatcher. Uh, I do know how to pronounce that name, Kieran, because he's a friend of the show, uh, who I believe took you to lunch before the Brentford
0: game. Is that right? I believe he's offered to take you to the, for lunch as well for, for yeah, when yeah, uh, Alex yeah. play, play at Brentford. Yeah, yeah, for, for, for Brentford, so you move all above. Um, <laughs>
1: Uh Stuart says, with the publication of one of my favourite players uh, who gave me an autograph at my very first football match, Norwich v Chelsea, Pat Nevin, who, the accidental footballer, is the name of the book, it struck me just how lucrative are football biographies. Uh, brackets, not football books as we know, Who Are You and The Price of Football are mega blockbusters. Uh, so far, it's been about as lucrative as this pod has. <laughs> uh, uh, how much would a player slash manager expect to make from a book um, and any idea who's made the most from theirs? And let's let's just for shits and giggles throw in, how much would the person who actually wrote the book get? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it, it, as far as books are concerned, um, my research suggests that the uh, biggest beneficiary of these has been Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, his... Uh-huh, yeah. His biography, autobiography, I think, around about the time he was retiring, sold yeah. around about eight hundred thousand copies, which is wow. phenomenal. Huge, and, you know, huge yeah. number. Yeah. Um, and that, but that is very much the exception. Um, and he would have made um, around about one million pounds is the estimate from that, which yeah. is uh, we'll yeah. one one. It's about one pound thirty a copy,
1: isn't it? Something like that, apparently. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, but as yeah, you know, as as we both know, having written books, I, I think I, I was, I, I get seven percent royalty, right? Um, on on the one that I wrote, um, and which I then. Gave away, of much, much, much to the annoyance of the uh, of, of the Baroness. I said, "Well, it's a, it only sold two dozen copies, so it's that's a, that's a yeah, it's a fifteen quid for charity. It's not, not going to make a lot of difference." And it it's sold a few more than that. Um, and every every, every time that. I got a letter from uh, an email from the publisher to say, "Oh, we don't, we we're gone for our third reprint, fourth reprint," she go. Uh, how much? How much is this costing me? I said, "It's not." Co- I, I, I'm, I'm always from the "what you've never had, you've never missed" school of thought. I said, "Well, I've never had a royalty checks, so technically, it's yeah. not cost us a penny." Um, but, uh, but so, in in terms of a high profile player, I think Roy Keane's book. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be controversial. It will sell. So, so Roy's King, Roy Keane's book sold around about 200,000 copies. That's that's yeah. very, very good. Um every you know, every October you will see footballers' autobiographies coming out and it helps if you've played for Manchester United. Let's yeah. be honest. You know, that they are the club with the uh you know the broadest following in, in the country. So this 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 Christmas we've got Peter Michael, I think we've got Patrick Patrice Evra. Uh, their books coming out, and, and they've been yeah, you know, they've been Doing the routine, uh, you know, on on the uh, on, on on the radio and TV shows, yeah, of course. Um, but they're they're likely to sell, I think, tens of thousands rather than hundreds of thousands. So, uh, yeah, certainly, Sir Alex is is the the most successful. Um, how much of those books have they written themselves? Um, I suspect the ghostwriter will get a pretty small fee <laughs> um, uh, from all of that. They 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 will be on on a small percentage of the. Uh, uh, of, of the commission of the of the player themselves, mm. well, it might even be just a fixed fixed amount for yeah. for for putting interviews into words. In in general, the rule of thumb apparently is because
1: it's still a world that's new to me that if a book sells in hardback sells more than a thousand copies, that's considered hugely successful. Yeah, so eight hundred thousand is incredible. I, I still remember, as you know, I love Jamie Redknapp, He's, I, I adore him, but I remember having to sit down. I was with him last year when he said, "I've I've got a book coming out." Uh, and I, I got really excited. He went, Why are you so excited? I said, Sorry, Jamie. I, I just, when you said I've got a book, that's the bit I got really <laughs> excited about. So I, I just thought, My work is done after 10 years. I've finally, finally made him read a book. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one as well, because of course, a lot of you, you can't, you go into W.H. Smith's, every single, the, the, the DVD market has disappeared for yes. comedians, totally yep. disappeared for comedians. So now they're all writing books. Yes. and it, And they're all. Pretty similar to the. I mean, you read there's a brilliant podcast based on football biographies from the 70s, and they're pretty much the same template. There's it? very, yeah. very rarely anything of any uh, degree of interest in there, but they're still bizarrely readable. Um, I'm just saying that, Kieran, for karma wise, because there will be people saying, Well, I've bought a, a book called Who Are You and the Price of Football, and there's barely anything readable in there, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, Jamie Smith has a, our next question. And Jamie Smith says, considering some clubs are reluctant to put relegation clauses into their players' contracts, either because it will make it harder to compete in the Premier League or because the owners are rich enough to afford the wages in the lower leagues, would mandatory relegation clauses for all clubs work? And would they be legally enforceable? Would it need to be done by the PL, uh, Premier League, EFL or the FA, or it need to be acted at FIFA, UEFA level to ensure competitive balance across the countries?
0: Right, Um in terms of this, uh, I, I I went for a curry with a uh, chief executive of a Premier League club and and uh-huh. asked this very question, oh, to which right. the reply was, "We would rather spend the following season in the Premier League than in the Championship." So the players are fully aware of this as well as our, as other agents. Um, we, we do have uh, relegation clauses, but uh, it's it, it's a lot trickier than it sounds because especially if you're trying to attract a player from overseas let, let's let say that you know, a club's just been promoted um we're now in the january window and you're trying to sign a player for you know 15 million quid you're offering him you know 35 40 grand a week if you then have to say oh by the way there's a chance within six months that that thirty to forty grand will have to be reduced by seventy to eighty yeah. percent. That player's not going to sign for you, and you're going to get relegated. So it, it, it's it, it's a genuine problem to which a simple solution, and lots of people are putting forward simple solutions. Um, and, and, and I'm not criticising Jamie because I think he's he's asked a very valid question um, to which a simple solution is uh, is is very challenging indeed um if you take a look at the the wage bills of clubs which have been relegated from the premier league to the efl um on average they fall by 40 percent in the first season um and, and that sort of ties into you know with with what's happening in terms of parachute payments and that will be partly due to uh redundancies at the club uh, yeah. you take, take a look at the likes of Sunderland and Aston Villa when they when they when they drop down out of the Premier League uh, but if, if we're honest you know back office staff are not paid particularly well F- football is a really poorly paid industry unless you're at the top level yeah. uh, or, or you're a player um, so uh, there will be some job losses some of the players might leave Uh, because if they're good players, they'll be snapped up by by Premier League clubs. Um, But for the remaining players, you're probably looking at at relegation clauses 20 to 25%, unless it's a club which has just been promoted. And for the existing squad, they've got automatic step-ups in that first season in the Premier League and automatic step-downs if they then get relegated after one season. So... It's 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 genuinely tricky. They do exist at present, but you know, if if I was the owner of Stoke City, uh, you know, who gets paid four hundred million pounds a year from Bet Three Six Five um to say well yeah you know, i i can afford to to maintain that level of wage yeah. why why should we be forced as an employer to give our employees a pay cut when we're quite happy to pay their wages um you know un, unhappy unhappy staff equals demotivated staff equals staff who are less productive so it it's it, it's it's not as it's not as simple as i think uh, as some of the the people who say automatic clauses work, and, and I know this is again this is an issue uh, which is included in the in the fan led review. Uh, so some, yeah, perhaps it's something else. Again, we we can uh, talk to with Tr- Tracy. Um, as far as who would enact this, it would have to be a joint agreement between Premier League and EFL and the PFA, because uh, you, you yes, may recall at the start of last season. Um, the, uh, the 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 e, the EFL in leagues one and two had automatic wage caps introduced two and a half million pounds uh, in league one and one and a half million pounds in league two, um, and the PFA took took them to a tribunal and the PFA won partly due to the fact that they had uh, Nick DeMarco as as their uh, as as their representative and you know, as we know Nick's a, a pretty smart cookie. Uh, when it comes to these things, so it would have to be agreed by the the PFA. Um, it, as far as getting FIFA or UEFA level uh, approval, that wouldn't be the case because there are some countries, such as the MLS in in the USA, in, in which there are uh, automatic wage caps anyway. Of course, mm. there is no relegation to worry about.
1: It's because you, the reaction of some uh, Premier League chief execs to some parts of the fan led review, you know as we've discussed, phrases like Maoist, phrases like government interference, I can't imagine they'd be particularly happy about the idea of mandatory relegation clauses. Um, but again, as you say, we'll mention that when we talk to Tracy and um, the next pod. Now, Edward Murthy has a very interesting question, I think. Edward says, we saw how the Glazers and other groups have managed to buy football clubs with very little capital of their own. Why don't we see more fan groups using this as a vehicle to take ownership of their club?
0: Right. I mean, you're absolutely right. The the Glazers put next to nothing in um, to the acquisition of Manchester United, but they did borrow £700 million as well. Um, so we, we've also got the situation where we are seeing clubs being sold for a pound, and we've, we've covered this topic as well yep. before. Um When you buy, when you take over a football club, you're effectively buying the shares of that football club and therefore you acquire both its assets and its liabilities. So you might buy a football club for a million, for for, for one pound, but if it's got debts of 20 million, then that's effectively added on to your cost because at some point in time, you're going to have to pay off those costs. Yeah. The problem with buying a football club, regardless of the price, it's it's not necessarily how much you pay for it. Is that you've then got a business to run where eighty percent of the, the your competitors and potentially you are are loss making. So why can fans not take ownership of clubs as easily as perhaps they might like to? Is that at the end of the month you've got the wages to pay and you have a meeting uh, of the the committee formed by the fans who say, well, okay. You know we're we're short of hundred grand this month. Where's Where's that going to come from? Yeah. Because the, the fans have all of good intentions, but good intentions don't pay the bills. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge for fan owned clubs, and and that's why we've seen some own some fan owned clubs, such as Portsmouth, uh, such as Wickham, who you know, and Wickham managed to get into the um in, into the Championship, and they actually published their accounts uh, a few days ago. Um, and, and they they did extremely well uh, in in the championship. They made, they made a profit despite a year in which COVID was operating. They made a profit of over three million pounds. And I know wow. Wow. Uh, I know I know that, that they listen to the show. So perhaps we'll we'll uh, we'll send them out an invite to to have a chat because yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting uh, ownership. It's, uh, it's it's the cohig family, um, and yeah, uh, you know, they they're also doing extremely well in. Uh, in League One this season, so it, it can it can be done that uh, you, you can you can operate in the Championship um, and make money. As, as, soon, as soon as I put those numbers out, though, uh, fans of other clubs say they've got relegated, though. Remember yeah,
1: there? yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the,
0: and and the previous season, the only club to have made a profit in the Championship was Rotherham, who got relegated. So you know th- there is this this price to pay.
1: <clears throat> yes, well done, Finley. Finley, I suspect there are people listening to this pod simply for Finley's input, yes. and they've had to wait quite. A is he out, Have you put him outside? He sounds like he's
0: long distance. No, or no he's. Uh, uh, we, we got a new box of wonky chomps. Uh, oh, uh, delivered on Friday, and uh, yeah, uh, he, he's he's in he's in the kitchen with the Baroness, sort of. Giving it the, the full puppy dog eyes, I'm starving <laughs> to death. So uh, he's, he's only barking because uh, somebody's just come to deliver. Yeah,
1: Uh, as we know that, it's a technique that works for you. So I'm sure that's where Finlay learned it from, to be perfectly (laughs) honest.
0: Uh,
1: Our penultimate question comes from Bradley Glover. And it's not strictly a finance question. It could be, but I think it's well worth asking anyway, because it's an an interesting question. All our questions are interesting. I don't don't mean to imply that some are more so than others, but this is an interesting one. Uh, And Bradley Glover says his question is about referees. Based on the top quality European referees we saw during the Euros, if Premier League teams can import in the best players from all over the world, what is stopping the Premier League importing the best referees? As difficult as that may be to judge from abroad, and we we do have a there's uh, a couple of Australian referees working in VAR permanently. I understand, and there was a time uh, back during the 80s and 90s, and even later, when a couple of the old firm games in in Glasgow, they got an English referee um, to to save any complaints about so it's
0: it's not unprecedented is it kieran so it, could it be done financially um it, it certainly could be done though i think that uh, pgmol who are the professional game
1: match officials official yeah. yeah um they
0: they might have some objections because they will say well you know our members have had to come through the system to uh, yeah, and, and and as somebody that that you was a qualified referee myself and, and got to know a little bit about the system many years ago, um, that it's uh, you know it, it's it's tough making your way up the ladder, and if if uh, people who go into refereeing, especially if they go into refereeing young, think that well, you know, now my, my ult- yeah, just like the ultimate dream of a of a young football player is is to reach the the, the professional level uh when, when they when when they start off as as you know as youth team players uh, the same is true for referees and uh you know that that could act as a disincentive uh it could be argued that PGMOL is is a bit of a closed shop as well and and, and they don't want people coming into it so, you know is effectively the union um, the other issue would be the reaction of the Home Office, because yeah. Oh, yeah, um, of <laughs> you you have to have a governing body endorsement uh, to recruit football players from overseas, and uh, it could be that PGMOL decide that they're going to object to you know overseas referees coming on stealing, you know, taking our jobs um, on on a similar basis. So you, you'd have to have either the Premier League or the Football Association. Um, uh, backing up these these recruitments. So yeah, it's not impossible. Um, my view is that I think referees get a pretty hard time. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I I just say to somebody, just try it. Just 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 try try it for one year, and and then then come back and tell us how easy it is. And that's in, that's in park football. You multiply the speed of the players by fifty percent in the professional game, and and you'll see that it's it's. Uh, you know referees make mistakes players cheat that you know there's yeah there's a big difference between the two can you imagine the Daily
1: Mail response if a French referee got a decision wrong in a Liverpool Man U game <laughs> that would just be the ultimate orgasmic story for the Daily Mail wouldn't it um, Kieran how did um how did it work with you as a referee of your colour blindness did you have different shape cards
0: for yellow and red well, I, I I can tell uh, yellow and red, but I think I think I had one one was one was uh, oval and the other one was rectangular. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. And and the, and the reason why you do that is that it's actually it, it's not a color issue; it's a feel issue. Because when you put your hand into your pocket to pull out a card, what you want to make sure is that you pull out the right one. Mm, so, therefore, you know, you intuitively, you, you, I'd, I'd actually tell by touch to make sure I'm pulling out the right card. <laughs> Because uh, because the last thing you want to do is yeah you know, if you if you pull out a a yellow instead of a red you then got oh Christ now do I have to go and downgrade this because that was an absolute you know, that was that was a life threatening tackle yeah just, um, so so that was the way uh, yeah color blindness was uh, was actually an issue for me because because I, I I did get yeah you, know, you you get inspected um, and I I did have problems and and yeah. but yeah you know, I was reluctant to admit to it. Of course,
1: I think just as a general life lesson, Kieran, it 's always nice to put your hand in the pocket and pull out the right one isn 't it <laughs> you, know like you can't you can 't leave that hanging in the universe That's true. <laughs> um, Our last question comes from John Brosnan, and John has obviously clocked that the best way to get a question answered on this show is to make it about football kits. And the second best way is to add in a really bizarre addendum, um, (laughs) which is done, which is, there's no way this question wasn't getting asked. Uh, And John Brosnan's question is this. Who decides which font is used on the back of players' shirts, as in the player's name and the style of shirt number? Do the kit manufacturers have to pay another company for the use of particular fonts? And if so, how much? Or if Adidas, for example, supply your kit... But do you have no option but to take the style of numbers and lettering they supply you with? Finally, and I know this will sound nuts, but can a team play with shirts that are labelled with, <laughs> numbered with Roman numerals? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Messi in the next year, and well, and of course, in uh, back in the early days of, of shirt numbering, they did also experiment with having A B C D E on the back of one team and numbers on the back of the other, and having one to eleven for one team and twelve to twenty-two. For the other, so again, like many things in football, these things that we take for granted weren't immediately settled when they were introduced. But it's a good question. Do because just bizarre. I mean, Arsenal's bizarre gothic numeral just looks really odd. So again, are they paying a separate company for the for the font? Uh, I don't think. I don't think you have
0: to pay for a font as such, but it, it does say, if we go to uh, rule M9 of the uh, Premier League handbook, it says the size, style, colour and design of shirt numbers, lettering and the logo of the league appearing on a player's shirt or shorts and the material from which they, they must be made shall be determined by the Premier League board from huh. time to time. Oh, okay. So it, it is. It is definitive. I, th- I think the Arsenal one was was that restricted to non Premier League games. Was that was their European version? Oh, was it? Okay, I didn't realise that. Um, I, I know that because the, there was until relatively recently. I think one of the the rugby union clubs played in letters as opposed to numbers. Oh, yes, I believe you are right. Um, but the but in terms of of letters, um, it says here. The, the the number of of the shirts it has to be a number and starts with one and increases by by one uh, per player. Uh, so it's it it is def- definitely a number rather than a letter. So that is again part of section M of the the club operations part of the Premier League handbook uh, av- available to download as a PDF. Three hundred and thirty nine pages of. Absolute nerdiness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if you've got a partner and you've got, you've got a printer, just just go and print the whole thing off and, and say it's from Santa and, and give it give it to the nerd in your life, and they, they'll 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 will be will keep them quiet for a few days over Christmas.
1: Well, if if anything, Kieran, what we've guaranteed here is that football games this week, some people in pubs are going to be confused when their mate comes up to them and says, "Did you know you can't have Roman numerals on the back of a football shirt?" And they're going to go, you've been listening to that Price of Football podcast again, haven't you? Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod that tells you you can't have Roman numerals on the back of your football shirt, then that would be lovely. And please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. But, of course, our pod itself will always be free to air. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, especially about kits, then email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran McGuire for his customary farewell.
0: Uh, well, thanks again, folks, for the feedback. Um, if you if you just want to give some give us some good karma uh, in relation to the show, if you can go to that uh, icon uh, on your on your app for Apple and uh, give us a review, uh, if you'd like to give us five stars that 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 really does help. It if you want to write a few words that that doesn't make a blind bit of difference, according to uh, producer guy, you can you can write whatever you want. You could say that it was. You'd rather have it. Uh, you'd rather it presented by Virginia Wade and John Richardson, uh, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference, apparently, to us in the ratings. <laughs> Uh,
1: I, <laughs> I I would definitely that's the one that's the one I'm most likely to listen to that would be <laughs> John would be ter, John would be terrified um, thank you for listening everybody and rightly so, and rightly and so. Right, yes indeed and, yeah, I've met them both she's, ad, they're both absolutely lovely people um, uh, John's an old mate I love John dearly but um, Virginia Wade is uh, very charming she's very lovely uh, and very historically important to the sport of tennis uh, yeah. bye everybody
0: bye the Provise Sun for Vote of Paul. The Provise Sun for Vote of Paul.